judge the world by the worship in person. Yeah. of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And I'm glad that we in the sanctuary are going to be following along with the kids in church school. And the first part, the first six weeks, are about caring for the vulnerable. And the second six weeks is about setting things right. We're going to learn about some people that I have actually never studied much or preached on, like the daughters of Zelophabad, caught up in a land dispute in probate. Nathan, the prophet, calling King David to, to account for his infidelity. The tax collector Zacchaeus hiding up in a tree. Some of us remember him from Sunday school. Esther, a beautiful young queen learning to be a political dynamo. A wayward, irresponsible son, well known to all of us, forgiven by his crazily generous father. A persistent widow who cannot get the legal system to pay attention to her. Nehemiah doing affordable housing work and an angry Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple. Some familiar stories and some not so familiar stories. Caring for the vulnerable is indeed chief among our aims as we are trying to live through the twists and turns of this pandemic. That's part of why we had worship on the lawn this morning for our youth and children, which was quite joyful because they cannot, the children cannot get vaccinated yet. And that is why we are continuing to be masked and physically distanced indoors. But back to our reading this morning from James. This letter covers lots of topics in a very short amount of words. There are only five short chapters. He covers how we manage our speech, our economic pursuits and business practices, how we handle trial and temptation, our responses to discrimination, our life together in Christian community, how we do prayer and mutual spiritual support, and much more. I think it should be required reading of all of us who are serious about our Christian faith, who have any interest in living an ethical life. It will only take you 15 minutes to read all five chapters, 30 if you take time to reflect on them. I encourage you to do it. But here's, as you discovered hearing the text, and as I discovered in reading it in church council on Wednesday night, 
James is not warm and fuzzy, which may not be what you were hoping for on our first Sunday back after 18 months of this long enduring pandemic. He's not so much holding our hands and telling us it's gonna be all right, as he's like a coach pushing us out onto the fields, yelling at us from the sidelines as we play out on the field of life. Amy, right on your tongue. Jennifer, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Thomas, make sure your actions line up with your words. Walk the talk. Susan, help bring one another back from sin. Be willing to give an assist out there. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Choir, pray regularly about everything. That's the character of James. He does it loudly and often with exaggeration. He doesn't promise it will be easy. He doesn't say it will be fun, although frankly, it would help if he would. He could stand to be more Ted Lasso and then Bill Belichick, but he does say it matters. If anything, James is calling us to a life of ethical integrity as followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the Anointed One. And I, for one, like it a lot. Martin Luther, not so much, didn't like it. I like it because personally, the whole reason I got into this business of preaching and pastoring and churching is because I think we have to learn to practice and hear what life is supposed to be like in God's eyes so that we can go out there and transform the world with God's kind of love as we understand it in the example of Jesus Christ. And the section that Thomas just read for us makes it super clear about favoritism, partiality, or as Peterson phrases it, not so accurately, public opinion. Now, we don't know for sure what was going on in these churches that James was writing to. We don't even know for sure who James was. But you can imagine in this minority movement in a mighty empire where wealth and influence matter, you can picture how this would work if a well-off person with clout and influence and money would come into your sanctuary. You can understand how people in that church might have wanted a little bit of that to get ahead with their movement and how they might ignore someone who is down and out. We just reenacted it on the lawn for the kids. You see this sort of thing play out all the time in your workplace, in your classrooms, on the school, on the bus, on the school bus and on the public bus. I think we all understand what James is trying to get across here with this illustration. And my guess is that most of us, as I know our congregation, when we hear this, we think, well, yes, of course, I, I agree with that, absolutely. And we've got plenty of scripture to back it up before James came. We've got Leviticus 19, Paul to the Romans, Jesus and the great commandments, which are quoted here, to love one another as we love ourselves. If anything, it might make some of us who have a little bit more, uh, either because we worked hard to earn it or we inherited it from others, it might cause us to squirm a little in the pews. And I get that. It's okay to squirm in church. Some passages are meant to make us squirm. But I can also imagine if Congressman Jake Auchincloss or our senators Elizabeth Warren or Ed Markey came in, or perhaps former Brookline resident Tom Brady, you would boo first, but then you'd welcome him, came through the doors, or if Yo-Yo Ma came across the river and started to play a cello, some of us would get kind of excited and make a little extra room. And my question is, would we do the same for the couple currently sleeping under our steeple? Or would we do the same for the folks who might wander in from the food pantry's long lines on Wednesdays and Thursdays? One of the things that makes me grateful and glad to be your pastor 
and a part of this congregation is because I believe that in general, we are a very tolerant, even hospitable, loving and welcoming bunch of people. If we have someone who comes in here who deviates from whatever the norm is of behavior and speech and look, whatever that norm may be, and it's very malleable, we are generally pretty good about it. You may remember two summers ago when I was leading worship and I got up to do the prayer of confession. We were hosting the community arts project, uh, Ministry of Common Cathedral on the Boston Common that reaches out to unhoused people. And as I went back to my seat, one of the members of Common Art had taken my seat. And then we sat down and I chatted with her and she wanted to chat with me during the lovely homilies that would be given and I asked her to redirect her attention a little bit with me. When the offering came along, she noted what I kept in my wallet and what I put in. And then at the end of the worship service, I got up to give the benediction and she decided to get up with me and interview me in front of the whole assembly. Some of you are nodding that you remember that. And it was actually very charming. It kept me on my toes. And then she helped me do the benediction. And then she immediately tried to sell me one of her pictures. She came back later a few months when I was out of town for, and wanted to help with the baptism as Amy was doing it and wanted to hold the baby. And Amy also very lovingly helped us understand that we are all a part of this baptism together, each one of us, whether we were asked to be or not, or we just showed up. We can feel good about that kind of behavior. We can feel good about Thrifty Threads, our thrift store, how it has kept the sidewalk sales going, how it helps people who need clothing and need just to give them some clothing. We can feel really good about now hosting the Brookline Food Pantry, which has gone from 175 families to 750, and how they fill up our chapel every Wednesday and Thursday with tons, literally tons of food. Better yet, if you've got a few extra hours, they are in dire need of volunteers. I've been doing that this past year, and it has been a great edifying experience for me to learn more about our town and, frankly, to learn more about my faith. They need us. And we have tried with the folks who are camping out in our steeple, which, as you see, is roped off because it's not quite safe to be there, which we've let them know. We've tried to hook them up with a social worker here and also give them gift cards, but we don't have all the answers. Surely this kind of humanity, this kind of relationship is what James mean, means when he wants to see us be active about our faith. That it's not just about belief, it is about doing. And we can pat ourselves on the back. And I bet James would yell out at the sidelines to us, good job, United Parish, way to go. But James also knows that the game is not over. It's never over. And we're often only as good as our last play. And so the next time we huddle up for practice, I can imagine that he'd say something like, now I want you to pay attention to the sneaky ways that partiality and favoritism play out in your minds in unfaithful ways. Because James knows that partiality can lead to prejudice, and prejudice leads to oppression, and oppression creates injustice. Right here before our very hearing, he critiques how the empire that he was living in does that. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind, he asks? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? 
As we know when we pay attention to our media sources, what was true in the Roman Empire of the early church is still in, true in the American empire we live in today. Financial policies from the rich and powerful help ensure that the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poor. People using their legislative power to limit how, where, and when everyday folks can vote, spitting in the face of decades of civil rights activism and legislation. A whole lot of men in power deciding what a woman can or cannot do with her body and her God-given right to reproduction, all in the name of defending the silent unborn, while millions of living, breathing, out-of-the-womb children go starving, making up the highest percentage of our homeless population or spending trillions of dollars in a 20-year, seemingly pointless war under the hubris that we can somehow coerce another culture to conform to our very imperfect practice of democracy. People in power love to slice and dice our society demographically, profiling who comes through our TSA portals, redlining neighborhoods, creating a war on drugs that is really a shameful process of mass incarceration of men of color in particular and poor people. And James knows that this kind of injustice starts in the dark and quiet corners of our hearts and our minds. So when we huddle up, he'd be honest a bit about how we practice our faith. And he'd say, remember, we can always do better. James understands why we do it. It's a way of sorting the world, understanding the world. Oh, she looks rich, I know what that means. Or, oh, he looks homeless. And our minds run through all the info, both well-researched and half-baked lazy prejudices and everything in between, and comes up with a well-worn, quick stamp of understanding. Psychologists can tell you how quickly that goes on our minds. We do it for everyone, black, white, Asian, Latinx, gay, hetero, trans, millennials, boomers, large people, small people. What James I wants us to do, I think, in 2021 is to always be checking our lazy prejudices, our snap judgments, our knee-jerk responses. One of my favorite prophets in the modern day is the comedian Wanda Sykes. In her 2019 special, Not Normal, she explores out loud what it means for her to be a black lesbian mom with her own white children. And she does it in some very entertaining and helpful ways. And she decries people who, who, say, to, who say to her, Wanda, we're all the same. In her typically pointed way, she says, no, we're not. We're not all the same. We're different, but we're equal. We're different but we're equal. And that's the thing, she says, that's what we have to respect. And I think that's what James, what Jesus, what God wants us to get. God sees our differences and the ways that we all reflect the divine image in different ways. And God knows that we are all precious in that divine sight. But what we have to continually do is to treat one another that way, to look for God in one another. So I started putting some questions in the order of worship after this point. I only got one down. I have two or three, and we may have some time at coffee hour if you want to have these questions, because I would like for preaching as we go forward to be more of a conversation. But some questions I'd like you to take home with you. To whom are you showing undue partiality, either favorably or unfavorably, and why? And I'm going to add a few to the mix. 
for us to ask ourselves, what lazy prejudices, snap judgments, knee-jerk reactions do we need to temper to be more in line with the gospel of love? How do we see partiality turning to prejudice in our society? And how can each one of us be a part of turning the tide toward God's love and justice in our own individual ways? That's what the next 12 weeks are going to be about. And that's what Coach James wants from us, that we cheer one another on in this game of life, that we keep getting back on on the field and challenging ourselves and one another, and more importantly, that we show God's love in the world wherever we go. For God's sake. Amen.